Welcome to the Drinking with Gin podcast. I'm your host, Ginny Preem. I'm that friend that you can chat with about anything. Relationships, career, travel, fashion, with zero judgment. This is a space where we will navigate struggles and celebrate triumphs and share some laughs along the way. This is your new favorite community that you didn't even know you needed in your life. I'm a speaker, author, and master certified professional coach. I call you, my friends, gems, because this is where we can all shine our brightest. And now that you're in the circle, you and all of the other gems can tune in for relatable, real talk. Hey gems, welcome back. It's great to be back with you here again this week for another episode of Drinking with Gin. Now, I wanna start out by saying that this week is going to feel a little different. That's on purpose. And the reason why is because as I was thinking about what I was going to talk about in this week's episode, I was struggling. I hit a roadblock, I was stuck, and I thought, kept going back to thinking, what parts of the story am I going to talk about this week? And what I realized was, I was getting close to the hard parts of my story. And while the episodes this far have been, you know, fun and kitschy, and we've pulled in some great real life stories, and I've had some wonderful guests, I told you that this podcast was not going to be a place for beating around the bush. And you know what? It's exactly what I was doing. I was procrastinating and beating around the bush to getting to the hard part of my story. And I owe it to you to get to that. And moving forward, you are going to get the raw, authentic, vulnerable, unscripted Ginny that you came here and expect. I commit that to you. Now, I know I can't make any promises, but I do commit that that is what you can expect from me moving forward. We are going to stay on theme of firsts, and that's why I named this episode First Aid, Ripping the Bandage Off. Not because there's some medical emergency, but when I think of a first aid kit, the very first item that comes to mind is a bandage. And I came to realize this past week that I need to rip the bandage off, and I need to just tell you all my story and lay it out there. Because I had to get back to thinking about what was the point of this anyway? What's the point of having this podcast? What was the point of sharing my story? One of the first things people ask me when they find out that I wrote a book and I talked about my real life story was, was it cathartic? And in some ways, yes. I think fortunately, by the time, you know, it was getting to that point of you know, writing and, and sharing my story, I'd done so much healing, which was great for me. But I'm also doing this for you. Because there are so many lessons from my story that I've learned that I know other people can either learn from, or it can help them be on the watch out for certain things. And while there's a lot of complexities and your story might be similar to mine, and it might be really different. Unfortunately, the truth of the matter is, Most of us face trauma and adversity at some point in our lives. 
And for me, what I look back and I realize is it's what I did with it or what you do with it that really makes a difference. That's what really matters. So gems, today we are going to be ripping the bandage off and I'm going to share my story with you. All of it. Well, I might not get to every single detail, uh, there's certainly going to be at least the laying out of the big picture plan, which is going to give us that opportunity to dive into all of the layers and really get to the guts of what we're trying to do here. What I'm trying to do here is to give people tools, watchouts, lessons that we all can relate to in our lives. So with that, what am I drinking? Well, Today I'm drinking a dirty martini because we're going to get to the dirt today. I might have tossed a couple of blue cheese stuffed olives in there because I think at the end of this episode, I might need a snack. So pull up your chair, get your drink, whatever it is you're drinking. You might need a XL glass of water or glass of wine, maybe an extra shot of espresso in your coffee. And if you're drinking tea, you might want to put a saucer under that cup because today the tea is getting spilled. We are getting to what we came here to do. So let's start. My story is I'm going to go back to the beginning of 2017 because there's some things in, in there that matter. And in the beginning of 2017, I had a new role at my company and I had just won President's Club, which was really unexpected, but you know, a great honor and, and recognition. And then my brother died. And I don't say that casually or flippantly, I say it almost in like a, a shocked way. And it was a shock. And my brother and I were really close. He was just a great guy and there was no foul play or anything. It was, a, he fell at home and it was just like a really crazy random accident. So it was really shocking. And um, losing him was really the first big trauma that I experienced in my life. Losing somebody really close to me, that was really important to me. And I feel like at that point, I did start to change a little bit. I really started to evaluate what's important in life. And so moving forward, I, a couple months later, I bought a new home. And then over the summer, I had a housewarming party. And it was so fun. And my other brother, who's in the book as James, he had asked if he could invite a couple of his buddies, one of them being his personal trainer, Chad. And... Chad had been kind of on the radar for a while. Like my brother James talked about him quite a bit. He was his personal trainer and he had been wanting to set us up. And I was resistant for a couple of different reasons. One, because he's my brother's friend and you just never know how that's going to turn out. And also because he had a couple kids. And knowing that he had children made me really resistant because you know what happens you get attached to the kids and, you know, then you're really pulled into that relationship. Well, Chad didn't show up that night. He said he was sick. But the next day, my brother took my friend that was in from out of town and myself out on his boat out on the lake, uh, Lake Minnetonka here in the Twin Cities. Upon arrival, he announces that his friend Chad would be joining us. 
And so Chad saunters on to the boat while we're sitting there waiting for a while. He just saunters onto the boat with, with no care that anyone's waiting for him. I was not impressed by this guy. I was very resistant to him. And all day, you know, the, as the drinks kind of started flowing and the banter was going, I was pretty impressed that he could keep up with my banter. Now, I love to be sarcastic and have humor incorporated into every day. We stop at a restaurant and my friend and I go into the restroom on the way out and she was like, oh my gosh, he is totally flirting with you. He's so into you. And I'm like, you know, I just kind of think that's how he is with everybody. And she's like, no, he's totally into you. And here we have that whole kind of conversation like girlfriends do. And we leave that day and there wasn't really much else on the radar for me about this guy, Chad. Go about my life. I go on a almost two-week vacation uh, with one of my friends to Greece, which was lovely and amazing. And my brother and Chad went on a trip to London. When I came back, it was approaching Labor Day weekend, and I got a random text message from a 612 area code number, which is Minneapolis, and it was Chad. He was inquiring about going up to my brother and his now ex-wife Karen's cabin, and he did end up coming. So we end up going up there and we spend the weekend together, which is kind of an unusual way to meet somebody like in the whole courting phase. But again, like Karen would pull me aside over that weekend and be like, well, what do you think? Do you like him? And I'm like, I don't know. Nothing's really pulling me towards the guy, but I'm not running in the other direction. After that weekend, he really turned it on hot and heavy. He asked me out right away, and we scheduled our first date, which was to, it was very over the top, very fancy, like one of the nicest restaurants in Minneapolis called Cafe Alma or Restaurant Alma. And then at the last second, pulled out U2 tickets at the brand new stadium, very expensive, just very over the top, and like this big orchestrated first date. I had a great time. And, you know, that was kind of, I shared with you guys in previous episodes that, you know, that was where we had our first kiss, you know, it was on our first date. And then after that, like he really turned it on, like complete love bombing, constant text messages, calling all the time, wanting to spend like 24 seven together, what, what felt like, and just keeping up with his text messages felt like a part-time job. And here I am, you know, doing my busy career stuff, single girl, filling all my time with my friends and being able to do whatever the heck I want whenever I want. I had my two dogs, Emilio and Sadie, who were just the sweetest little lovers. Uh, they're two Pekingese. And, you know, then I've got this guy who I wasn't that interested in. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's really, really turning, turning on the charm, if you will. So we start dating, and again, every date was like over-the-top, extravagant, um, love-bombing. And he, like one time after an overnight date at his house, he left me a bottle of wine and a note, which I thought was so weird. I thought, is this like um, getting a $100 bill after a sleepover? It just felt really weird for me to get a gift, but I felt weird leaving it and not taking it. So we're about a month into dating and it was his 40th birthday. And we, my uh, former sister-in-law and my brother and I planned a surprise 40th birthday party for him, which was great. 
And right after that, it was the next morning, he wanted to introduce me to his kids. And I thought that was so fast. And really my first thought was, what does their mom think about this? Because I would want to know if I were a mom, I would want to know who is hanging around my kids. Like that would just be kind of like, I think my mama bear instincts. And he told me that they were just really good friends and he didn't need to run it by her, that they trusted one another. And I was like, okay. So I end up meeting the kids. And right after that, then my brother and Karen had a trip planned to Hawaii and we were invited. So we went. And now I'm going to be very like self-aware and, and very straight up. Our PDA was annoying. Okay. And Karen did pull me aside on that trip and she was like, can you just pull back on the PDA a little bit? But it's like, you, I think everybody can relate to kind of that new phase of a relationship, but I can recognize that we were obnoxious. Okay. So we get back from Hawaii and things just continue to move forward. Then all of a sudden, you know, we're exchanging keys to one another's houses. Um, well, he had an apartment, but he gave me a space in his underground parking, you know, garage at his apartment building. I gave him a key to my house and things just continue to progress. Like I'm spending all this time one-on-one -on -one with his kids. And then we get into spending the holiday season together. You know, it's, it's all of a sudden new year's. And then I did start to get some red flags and I ignored them. But the first really big red flag was in February and I was racing back to his house because he said he had to do an overnight work trip. Now, mind you, he's self-employed, but he had to do an overnight work trip in St. Cloud, which is mm, maybe 45 to 60 minute drive. To me, I think it would just be easier to drive back home, but that's just me. And asked me if I could stay with his kids because it was his night with his kids. Of course, I loved being with these kids. At this point, I'm like all in. We probably spent more time one-on-one -on -one than the four of us actually spent together. So I race back, get to, get to the kids. I spend the night with them. And as I'm getting ready to go to bed, I wash my face and I go to throw my towel in the trash bin. And I find these lingerie tags in the wastebasket, not mine. And immediately, so to me, that's a very clear indication that something was wrong. And my reaction, because I'm very much a person that makes decisions based on facts, was I sent him a text and I said, these aren't mine. I would obviously never leave your kids, but I'll be gone in the morning. By that time, I had space in the closet. I had all my dog stuff there. Like we had duplicates of everything. I had space in the bathroom cabinet. Like it was clear that there was a woman in this apartment. I didn't hear from him. And I was becoming like Agatha Christie, MacGyver, whoever you want to call it. I was like full on private investigator mode. I am turning over every corner in his house looking for more evidence. Okay. And the only thing I found were like restraints for like sexual pleasure underneath his bed, which he had never brought up to me before, had never used them with me. And I just thought that was kind of odd. Again, you know, just like secrecy and um, it was just like kind of one more indicator. I didn't hear from him until like 8.30 the next morning. Now, to me, that's really weird. I think I sent the message around 9 p.m. at night. 
And then he started just sending me this whole barrage of questions. And I'm not going to go through all of them, but it was like just one after the other, after the other, after the other. And the only thing I responded was, this needs to be a live conversation, not handled over text. So he came over that night and, you know, starts going into how he has abandonment issues. And, you know, even then I was level-headed enough to say, I get that. And I'm sorry for that. No one deserves to be abandoned by a parent at three or four years old. But what does that have to do with this situation? Well, somehow he explained his way out of it and said that the tags had come from the duffel bag that he had uh, emptied out in order to go on this overnight work trip that he had. And he was convincing. Then in the meantime, I had ordered all this stuff for the kids to have like kind of their own bedroom and space. They've been spending a lot more time at my house and just been kind of crashing in the guest bedroom. And we kind of converted the whole lower level of my house into what they coined the kid cave, which was really, really cute. So turn the kid cave into, you know, this whole space for just the kids to enjoy with their games and music and made their own whole bedroom. Then we go on my birthday trip. We're just continuing to integrate into one another's lives. At some point late spring, I was on the phone with him and I remember I was pulling into my friend's garage or into their driveway, excuse me. And he goes, so, hey, I got a letter from my apartment building that my lease is up. You know, how much longer should I sign this or should I at all? Like, I think I'm ready for us to move in together again really fast. But, you know, the old adage that people are like, well, when you know, you know, and that was kind of how it was feeling at that point. Well, we decide to move in together for him and his kids when they're with him to move into my house. And that happens over the summer. We go on our first big family vacation, you know, out to California, kind of tacked it onto a work trip that I was going on. And then the next big thing was his birthday again. So throw him a, a little birthday gathering. And then the next day we were going to Italy. This big romantic vacation, or so I thought, going to Rome, Positano, Capri Island. And I used even some of like my Delta upgrades and we got to go business class, which was such a treat. So we go on this really great vacation and come back. I go on a work trip to Orlando, Florida, like two days later, like right away when we got back, I had to turn around and leave right away. And as I'm on that trip, he messages me that he was going to bed at 730 that night and he just didn't feel it was supposed to be his night with his kids and that he just didn't even feel good enough to be a dad. So he was going to go drop the kids off at their mom's and was going to bed. I tried to respond to him a couple of times and wasn't getting anything back. And I just remember sitting on the edge of that bed in that hotel in Orlando, Florida, and this huge wave rushed over me. And I just knew something wasn't right. So I came home that weekend. And I had this huge massive lump on my face that was kind of itchy, didn't really know what it was, and was kind of watching it. It was making my forehead and my eye all swollen. 
but I came home and I had, I'm, I'm really ashamed of this actually, and maybe I shouldn't be, but I learned just from, I think maybe that first night in February when I did the upturning of his home when I found those lingerie tags, I also did find a bottle of erectile dysfunction pills, not in his name. And then I started seeing them or finding them, I guess, all over, like in his bathroom and his overnight bags. And I started counting them. So clearly to me in my gut, something wasn't right. I also thought it quite bizarre, you know, being with someone for almost a year and a half, that it was something that was never brought up. I just, I feel like that's something that you would discuss with a partner, but I don't know, maybe, maybe that's just me. So the fact that he never brought any of that up was odd, but again, not proud of my behavior and counting them. But one of the first things I did when I got home that weekend was I looked in his bedside table and the two, there's a foil packet of two erectile dysfunction pills and they were full when I left and empty when I got back. I went to the grocery store and I called one of my best girlfriends. She was the only person the entire time during that relationship that I confided in any of my doubts because I almost didn't want it to be true. And she was such a supporter of the relationship. I'm not sure. So I call her and I'm waiting for her to call me back in the back of a grocery store parking lot, sobbing my eyes out. And I'm on the phone with her and I'm like, look, I know he is cheating on me. Like, I, I know it. I feel it in my bones. I feel it in my soul. I remember so vividly that moment and saying those words to her. And she said, there's got to be some other explanation. He would not do that. He wouldn't do that to you. He wouldn't do that to his kids. Only a psychopath would do something like that. You just need to go home and talk to him and figure things out. So I do. And we only had the oldest kid that weekend. It was our weekend, but the youngest was away at camp. So I go home, pull him in the bedroom and sit him down to talk. This was the first time I really saw this big shift in him where he just almost turned like stone cold, like ice cold. When I brought it up to him, and I asked him about the pills. He said, I don't know. I don't know where they went, but I didn't take them. And I was like, okay, that's not really a very good answer. And uh, certainly I didn't take them. And you didn't use them with me while I was across the country in Florida the last two days. And as the conversation goes on, you know, I ask him, did you ever cheat? So, And I even confronted him. I'm like, so you've never cheated on me? No, never looking me dead straight in the eyes. Did you ever cheat on your ex-wife? No. Looking at me dead straight in the eyes. And then he backpedals. He goes, well, maybe technically because I did start dating my ex-girlfriend when we were separated. It's like, okay. So it's like trying to almost like explain like a sort of half truth. So I kept pressing about the pills and finally he lost it on me, like exploded. And he said, fine, I'll tell you where they went, but I'm so fucking pissed at you because it's none of your business. I was like, whoa, okay. And now I'm more curious than ever. Please do tell. 
So he tells me that his buddy borrowed them because he and his girlfriend were going away on a trip. Now, Gems, look, I, I know this all sounds so suspicious, but when you are in this sort of situation with this sort of a person, it is like they make you question your own sense of reality. And then he even went so far in that conversation as to turn it on me and say, had I known that there were any trust issues in this relationship, I would have never uprooted my children. Now, let me give you a little uh, perspective. Once he moved out of my home, there that was the sixth place in like three or four years that he had lived. So they're certainly uprooting his children to my home where they saw the most stability and consistency that they had since he was separated or divorced from his ex-wife is really saying something. So again, he convinced me to stay. Somehow the, the conversation continued. He came back in a much softer way. And I don't remember exactly the details of what went on from there, but we continue the relationship. This is mid-October. And after that, that following week, I ended up messaging a friend of mine who's a dermatologist because I couldn't figure out what this thing on my face was. Well, it turns out she walks in the room look, looking at me for no, no more than two seconds and says, you have shingles. Have you been under a lot of stress lately? Now here I'm thinking, I just got back from this vacation from Italy. But meanwhile, all of this other like turmoil is going on inside me. And I think I was kind of like shoving it down. So here I get shingles on my face and I still have the scar from it above my right eyebrow. They'll probably have it forever. Well, fast forward, things, you know, continue moving forward and we have plans to go to my nephew's wedding. And this nephew is so special to me. He and I have always had this crazy close bond um, when he was a baby, like maybe six months old, my parents and I stayed with my sister because my parents' home, they had a new home that was being built. And my nephew and I, like, just because I was like 12, 13, I was taking care of him all the time. So we have just always had like this really close knit connection. There were only like 30 people invited to this wedding between her family and his family. And I was honored to be one of them. So we've got these plans to go to this wedding out in Washington. I'm so excited. And I think we were leaving Thursday morning at, at like 6 a.m. That Tuesday, I was in Alabama for work. And one of my friends, Lauren, texted me and said, hey, can you meet me for a cocktail tonight? Super out of the ordinary. She and I had never, I think we had been friends for about seven years at that point, and we had never gotten together for drinks. We would get together for workouts or coffee, and so I knew something was wrong. I just didn't know what. And we meet up, and here all day, I'm thinking that something is going on with her. Well, it turns out when I get there, she is crying, has a stack of papers in front of her, and begins to tell me that she received a bunch of information about Chad, and do I want to hear it? 
well, of course, of course I want to hear it. This is my partner who he and his kids are living in my house. We're talking about getting married. And I even threw out the idea at one point of potentially having a baby together. And of course I want to hear it, whether it's good, bad, ugly, give it to me. So she sits me down and tells me that she received this phone call from a mom at uh, where her kid goes to school because all of these moms were at an event recently and they were talking about going on spring break and holiday break and where was everybody going and someone brought up Italy. And apparently this friend Lauren starts showing pictures of my and Chad's trip to Italy and saying, oh, look how you know beautiful these photos are. And one of the moms recognized Chad. Well, she recognized him to be the man that this girl, Crystal, thought was her boyfriend, that she had been on and off with for two and a half years, and they had just gotten together, and it had been very tumultuous and very traumatic for this girl, very on and off, and, you know, just like a really difficult relationship. So this this girl, this friend of Crystal, this girl who thinks she's in a an exclusive relationship with my partner at the time. She convinces her to give her all of the information, including dates and places that they had gone. And so Lauren is laying all of this out for me. And the first one that she um, had kind of thrown out there was the October one. And I don't remember off the top of my head if it was October 11th or 12th, but it was around that time. And right away, I was super defensive when Lauren brought it up. And I was like, oh, no, I was home. We had just gotten back from Italy. And she said, actually, I I tried to do the best that I could in double checking everything. Go back and look. Look at our messages. I think you were in Orlando, Florida for work. So I pull up my calendar. And sure enough, she was right. And that was the time when I knew and I like felt it in my bones. And I didn't trust my instinct. I didn't trust my gut. And so then there was all of these other dates and information and, you know, all of this, all of these different things that were just like different dates that they went on, times, you know, places that they went. And there was so much overlap. I mean, it literally just made me sick to my stomach. And look, I know like people cheat, but when I started learning all of the details of what he was doing and the complete lie that my life was, so here I had completely changed my life to incorporate this little family. I went from being like this bachelorette, career focused, to having a little family, which I ended up loving. I loved having these kids in my life and I loved having like this family kind of, you know, connection. So I go home and I confront him immediately. I walk in, I flip the lights on and I'm like, so apparently uh, Lauren knows who this person is and so do you. What do you have to say about that? And he just proceeded to say that, yeah, he knew her and that he had gone out with her before we started dating. And the only thing that he did wrong to her was stop dating her because she's a little crazy. Now, gems. He says the same thing about me. And the only thing that I can think to respond with is, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he does think that someone that is 
honest and trustworthy and straightforward and truthful is crazy. That probably would be crazy to somebody like him. But I always find that to be a red flag when men are calling women crazy. So we go round and round and he finally asked me if I believe it. And I said, I don't want to. And being the, you know, kind of fact finding decision making person that I am, I knew that all I needed to do was find some truth in these documented dates that this girl had given um, as examples. So we continue talking for, I don't know, maybe 45 minutes, which to me, when you're dealing with something this big, that's not that long. And all he did was look at me and said, I know that this is more important while waving his hand between the two of us, but I need to get some sleep. I have to get up and work in four hours. Grabbed a pillow and blanket and made himself a bed on the couch. Now to me, that said probably everything that I needed to know, but I go back to the bedroom and of course I don't sleep a wink. I am just like in complete fight or flight mode, adrenaline pumping all night long, can't sleep, getting up every like six minutes to pee because my body is just like pumping on overdrive. I'm in such distress. Well, he gets up and he leaves in the morning. And one of the things that really irked me was it was supposed to be my morning. Mornings were my very favorite with the kids getting them up, making them breakfast, bringing them to school. That was just like our precious time. They were so sweet in the mornings. He scoots them out of the house at like 5.30 in the morning, unnecessarily, crazily early. And I just remember thinking, will I ever see them again? I was just heartbroken in so many ways. So as soon as he leaves, I go back into PI mode, just like I did that previous February. And the first thing I knew I needed to do was prove something in those documents that this girl Crystal had said. And I just knew if one of them was true, they were probably all true. And the very first thing I did was called one of the hotels. It was a Crown Plaza in Plymouth, Minnesota. And I pretended to be Chad's wife and just, you know, said, hey, you know, I recently stayed there on this day. It's under his name. And they were, they came back and as I'm sitting there, I'm just like totally stressed. You know, are they going to come back and have found the receipt or not? Well, they had. So they sent me over the receipt and it was in my email box. And all I did was sent it to Chad. And I said, here's the receipt that you must have misplaced. We're done. You've got the weekend to move out. And for me, that was all it took. Like, I just knew you are not going to sit there and lie to me. And there was so much more. So then again, I start like digging into all these things. I got into his iPad and I found so many more receipts and documentation and just things that made me realize that this man that was living in my house that I thought was my partner was not who he portrayed that he was at all. He lives a complete lie, which meant that in many ways, my life was also a lie. And here I had changed so much of my life. And when, you are, when you're living with somebody that is this extreme of telling lies, constantly chasing them, constantly 
hiding, constantly deceiving, can look you in the eyes and lie to you like that, it is really traumatic to go through this kind of an experience. I was like a zombie for days. And, you know, the next day I had things on my calendar and I, I didn't even know what to do. You know, I really canceled most everything. I, I know I called into work and said I wasn't going to be able to work the next few days. I had to cancel going to my nephew's wedding because of this. That was devastating in itself. But here I am in this trauma state because you just don't even like you literally wake up one day and you're like, my life isn't what I thought my life was. And it is jarring. It's scary to think that somebody can like pull the wool over your eyes for so long and pretend that they're someone that they're not at all. And so I continue to find stuff and, and have conversations. And through that journey, luckily, there's been so many lessons and, and learnings and blessings. And of course, I was a petty patty for, you know, a few a few moments during like the move out process. And, um, you know, I did some funny things or things that I thought were funny at the time, pretty harmless. But, um, you know, when you're in that, again, that kind of state, like you can't really fault anybody for how they respond in that trauma time. Like I know someone had made uh, in one of the book reviews, they had commented of like, I can't believe this girl is so vain. She went to a nail appointment the day after supposedly her life blew up. Well, let me tell you, like, you don't know what the heck you're doing half of the time. And all I could do was look down at my planner or my schedule and see what was on it and just do the best I could to put one foot in front of the other. And you know, in addition, like that Friday, I had to make an appointment to go get tested for STIs. You know, who knows what he could have given me, how many women he was with, because I'll tell you, many of the hotel stays that I found receipts for that were not with me, they also weren't with this other girl. So I'm not really sure how many other women or people were involved in this situation. But this other girl, Crystal, had confirmed that he doesn't use protection. So not only was he hurting me emotionally, mentally, taking advantage of me financially, he was putting my physical health at risk. And that is just not something that you should mess around with with people. And I remember going that Friday morning to the doctor and just being there feeling humiliated, but also having this moment of, wait, how did I get here? Again, that trauma response is like, I, I, I had to think about the fact that I drove myself there. But I was in such a distressed state that I didn't even know how I was getting some places at some point. And then the following week, I tried to pick back up the pieces and, you know, go back to work. I went on a work trip and, you know, kind of tried to get back to some sense of normalcy once I had gotten him moved out and kind of reclaim my space and reclaim my home because at some point you do have to start to move forward and I didn't even know what that looked like I mean there were so many things that were planned on the schedule like we had a family photo session coming up I had registered the four of us to go volunteer at secondhand harvest like a, a food shelf kind of organization and we had plans to go for the four of us, their mom, Elsa, who is amazing, by the way, 
had given us permission to take the kids to California over Christmas. So we had plans to do that. And it's like all of this stuff that I had planned that I thought was my future was no longer my life at all. So getting back to kind of trying to put the pieces together and just kind of putting one foot forward, I, I want to start to share about like the journey that I went on and, and everything that I learned and how much good has come from it. And part of it is I still have these wonderful kids in my life. I've gained a really wonderful friendship with their mom, Elsa. We actually call ourselves a little modern family because we do things together. I went to one of the kids' soccer games last week and we do get to stay involved. And you know, the four of us went on spring break to Hawaii together this past spring. We're planning to do another one this upcoming spring. And it's a different way of looking at what I gained from this traumatic experience, but I really felt like I was holding back and I didn't wanna do that to you gems. I felt like I needed to just rip off the bandage tell you the story. And look, there's probably pieces of it that I missed that we can revisit. If you have questions, let me know. I want to hear your feedback and we will get into so many pieces. And I want to get into the after story of all of the things that have come since then, because there is so much good stuff that came from it. Now, I don't know that I'll ever go so far as to say, thanks, Chad, but, um, you know, I, I, I really have been able to move forward from this situation, learn so much, and that's what I want to do here in this space. And I hope that you all understand that that's why we needed to do kind of this reset today and do this kind of first aid, rip the bandage off, share with you my story, no more holding back, there you have it. I would love to hear your feedback. If you have questions, if there's things that you think I missed or you want to know more about, that's what we're here for. And hopefully we all can take from this some lessons and some learning and, you know, share in some shared experiences together of how we move forward through trauma. And I actually think I've really grown from and grown through my trauma and I want to be able to share some of those experiences with you, Gems, so that maybe if you have a relatable experience, you can do that too. And that's what we're here for. So I hope that you enjoyed today's chat. Whew. I mean, I really did just kind of try to put it all out there for you. And I hope that's helpful because that's me and that's my story. I hope that you all can sparkle this week and shine your brightest, and I look forward to connecting next episode. Thanks for being here. Oh, you gems. Thank you for listening and tuning in to Drinking with Gin. I have enjoyed connecting with you, and if you loved this episode, I need you to please go subscribe, rate, and leave a review for Drinking with Gin. And then to stay connected with me, head over to my Instagram. My handle is Ginny Prem. I can't wait to chat again with you gems next week.